welcome to Indies Who Sell, the craft podcast. I'm your host, Mary Novak. My co-host, Sylvia Frost, is off tonight. Last fall, I had the opportunity to interview our featured author this month, Rick Gualtieri. Rick is well known for his successful comic horror urban fantasy series, The Tome of Bill, with titles such as Bill the Vampire, Sunset Strip, and Goddamn Freaky Monsters. I mean, I took a look at your website, and you've got a lot going on, website and, and YouTube and everything. You know, I've, I've, I come from an e-commerce background. Ah. Um, so little by little, it's, it's, it's one of those weird things where when you're working with other people's money, it's really easy. But then when you have to do it for yourself, suddenly you become really <laughs> stupid. Right. So, it's, so little by little, I'm trying to, like, remember those skills that, that I'm like, okay, I do this for this company every day. Maybe I should do it for myself. <laughs> right, right. Like, is this? Thing, are you doing things like um, analytics or? Um, I, I'm not like, and e-commerce is so big that uh, it seems like there are so many bases to cover. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a ton of them, and uh, like, I I can't do it all. Like, for example, if you go to my website, I think my website's eh, pretty decent, but. Uh, I can only do so much with regards to design. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I know enough Photoshop to be dangerous. <laughs> and I think, I think that's a good skill to have because, you know, rather than like, you know, continually like, you know, asking somebody else to do a graphic for me, I can do it for myself. <laughs> but I, I, I do know that there are limits of what I can do. So I've been talking to my cover designer and, and like, you know, about like some splash pages I have and like, okay, you know, I have these here. I know from an SEO standpoint, they're pretty solid. I know from a content standpoint, they're pretty solid. I also know from a design point, they probably could use some work. <laughs> perhaps not yet. Perhaps a bit holy. Um, okay. Yeah. And so uh, it's really interesting to me. It's kind of coming up what people did before um, they wrote full time. Do you you do write full time now, right? No. Three more weeks to go on the day job. Oh. 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 Wow. Wow. Okay. So uh, so you so all this time you've been putting out the whole Bill the Vampire series uh, and all these other books and also with it with a day job. All right, Rick Terry. So, um, first of all, you, you said a little bit, but how did you get into self-publishing? Did you did you go kind of a traditional route at first, or did you just dive straight in? A little bit different than Bill was five years ago. I've re-edited it several times. Um, mm -hmm. I've had it professionally edited. In fact, what I'm doing right now is uh, I'm sending the first four books of my series out to my uh, my editor who I started working with on the fourth book of my series mm -hmm. and I'm I wanted her to take a look and just kind of like you know tighten things up a bit um, give give it her like you know touch so that all the books kind of have that same editing feel to it oh that's interesting can you so so you've really got um, I, I saw a little bit about your relationship with your editor so I know that it's a really solid and long-term one um, can you speak a little bit to what she does like she i think that she, did you start with a copy editor and she's more than that or how does it work i met megan around the time i, I joined twitter which once again about five years ago mm -hmm. and and we just we just got along really well um at the time she was she was writing and i was writing and i didn't actually realize she was she was editing it like you know flash forward like a year and a half later when i when i, when I actually asked mm -hmm. um so i've known her for a bit longer than i've worked with her um and and i always thought she she was an awesome person person online mm -hmm. but uh what she does is uh 
it's it's kind of a it's kind of a combination. I would say, yeah, she does copy editing for me. There's there's some line editing thrown in and probably some light content editing mm-hmm. um, in that uh, in that as she goes through the books, you know, she 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 will point out parts that just do not work, points parts that are redundant, um, <laughs> parts that she finds offensive. <laughs> I, I find working with her, it's kind of an eighty twenty rule. Eighty mm-hmm. percent uh, of her changes, I usually accept like right off the bat because like. They're right. Maybe about 15% of the changes we'll go back and forth with, um, mm-hmm. you know, so we can kind of find that, that middle ground. And then there's, and then there's a, then there's that small part, maybe 5% of mm-hmm. the changes I have to reject because, uh, some, sometimes I'll put in something, especially in the Bill series for the purpose of a joke. Mm-hmm. I'll just look up and be like, this makes no sense. Get rid of it. I'm like, no, no you're stepping on a joke. You can't step on a joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> From what you've said about editing, it seems to me like you've sort of got it in a specific place in your kind of writer toolkit, meaning that I, I never get the feeling that it would like overwhelm you. Like you said, there's just the percents that you're just not going to budge on. But on the other hand, it seems like you really value um, this relationship and this presence in in your work. I my my editing cycle is probably a lot longer than uh, than than some of the other uh, successful self publishers out there. Yeah. Um. There there are some guys who like you know they they crank out a book a month and I'm envious of that but I know I just I know I just cannot match it because mm-hmm. I am a slow editor. Mm-hmm. Um. I usually go my books usually go through about I'd say about seven drafts before uh, before I'm happy enough to release them. Mm-hmm. So the, so with the way it works is I'll fin- the, like the book I'm working on right now, I'll finish it. I'll go through that once. I'll let my wife read it, and she'll either tell, tell me, okay, it's fine or it sucks. Um, I'll go through it again. So then we'll, we'll be on the third draft. I'll send that out to beta readers. Mm-hmm. Beta readers will come back. You know, they'll tell me what parts of the story work, what parts don't. I'll, I'll incorporate that, and that's, when, that's the draft that Megan gets. I see. So I it'll see. go out to her. And I, I, I'm, and I, would, I would say at that point it's – semi-clean mm-hmm. like like there's still probably a ton of typos in it but uh but at that point it's like you know i i, I don't like to hand off something that's just like you know f- a first draft garbage to an editor because right. it just adds a lot of extra work to them so right. like i try to clean it up as much as i can before before i send it out and then i'll she'll she'll take it clean it up even further it'll come back i'll send it out for proofreading and uh yeah usually that's that's about the point it's uh, ready to go mm-hmm. We get the question: How do you find your beta readers? I I have always recruited them just, just via social media. I didn't start using beta readers until I think Scary Dead Things, which was a Toma Bill Part Two. Uh-huh. And by then it was kind of like I had a small handful like who had read Bill, and I was like, Hey, would you mind taking a look at this? Uh-huh. And the way I do it is I split it. Mm-hmm. Half the people are beta readers I've worked with before. I know they're reliable, and I know they give good feedback. Mm-hmm. And then the other half, I'll pick like you know a, a new group, um, you know fresh eye, fresh eyeballs. Oh, that's really interesting. How how do you feel? I, I really like that concept. It, how, how do you feel that you benefit from from doing that? The people have been me, with me for a while. The awesome thing is, you know, they know that they know this. Some of them probably know the series better than I do. Um, they know the series. Um, I know what to expect from them, and that like you know that makes for a great like, working relationship. Mm-hmm. But bringing in new perspective, I think, is important because some, you know, fresh eyeballs just sometimes see things that other people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, when I released uh, book five in the series, Goddamn Freaky Monsters, and uh, I don't, I don't know how PG thirteen this uh, this podcast is. So N- not that, and I, that's actually the title that really made me want to read your books. <laughs> well, anyway, one of my one of my readers from the UK hated that book, uh-huh. and she just wrote me this scathing thing on my on my Facebook page, basically just tearing it to shreds. Mm-hmm. You know. So I wrote back to her and I was like, well, 
you know, uh, they, they, these are valid valid concerns. You know, I appreciate it. Would you mind being a beta reader for my next book? You know, because if if she wasn't afraid to approach me on my Facebook page right. and just essentially shred this book, then that told me that she was probably somebody who's not afraid to give me honest feedback. And that's what right. I'm looking. That's that's the that's really what I'm looking for from beta readers. Um, I've worked with some beta readers before who only say nice things, and that's wonderful and stuff. But I'm not quite so full of myself that I think my stories are perfect. Right. I, I want to hear. I want to hear the things that don't work. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want people who aren't afraid to tell me. You know, this section of the book, um, you need to lose it. Right, right. And I think that, that is that's really fantastic. I actually think that might be a major sort of craft takeaway is that if you can get to the point where you're able to take it on, you know, not just take it on the chin, but also like go back asking for more. And like, instead of seeing that as an attack, seeing it as, well, here's a perspective I'd like to know more about, you know, that's got to add a lot to your understanding of what you're doing, I would think. But it's not easy. (laughs) Well, it's not, it's not easy, but you know something, there's two different types of bad reviews. There's the you suck, mm-hmm. which what, Thank you. I don't know why Whatever. people get. I don't. Yeah, I don't know why people get upset by those because they don't really say anything. Yeah. And then there's the one that kind of cares enough to tell you why you suck. Mm-hmm. And if somebody is like willing to actually spend the time to tell you that, and I mean, here's the thing: some people will will write that out, and then you get the sense that they're so offended by your stuff that you should never ever speak to them again. <laughs> But some people will write it out in an objective manner where it's like, okay, you have some valid criticisms here. Um, you wrote it out in a manner that kind of maybe suggests, you know, you do want to see improvement as opposed to, you know, never want to see anything written by me again. So right. if I can catch, if I can kill these bad parts of the story before a book gets released, that much better. Right. I also I, That sounds like a really interesting place to zone it because it is clear from your work that, and from, from your website, I think that you give a lot of thought to like what causes offense and what are you going to live with? Like what offense are you going to live with cause? It sounds like you're sort of thinking about what am I going to live with causing and what would I, you know, like to deal with if I could. And this idea that if you've just knocked someone down where this is never going to be their zone there's not a lot to do there, but someone who kind of wants to convert you and let's see if you can find a place with them, that's a very interesting thing to work on. Part of that comes from that e-commerce background. Mm-hmm. Way back when, I used to work for well a major lingerie company, and I ran their online department. Mm-hmm. And I, as part of running their online department, I was in charge of their online customer service department as well. Mm-hmm. So any angry calls would get like escalated to me. Mm-hmm. Me with My that policy, guy. <laughs> yeah. But the thing was, my policy was, if I said I was going to call you back, I called you back, mm-hmm. which, you know, almost no, no customer service does that these days. And I, I the, th- the takeaway from that was you can take that negative and turn it around um, just by being civil to people. Yeah, that is fascinating. And again, you know, th- just as like a general takeaway, I'm just blown away by the way that many, many different jobs, every job kind of leads you to these lessons that then help, you know, help as insights you sort of never expect as a writer, like how to take feedback. <laughs> and so very cool. I have a, let me combine this question, the, 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 on the face being, do you write to market? And something I noticed and was very intrigued by was that you initially marketed Bill as, was it comedy horror was how you were describing it? And then it became urban, urban fantasy. I'll be honest. It was just trying something different. <laughs> I got yeah. lucky when I when I first came when I first wrote Bill. Bill was horror comedy. I mean, it, it was like pertaining to like I had never really read too much horror comedy. I mean, there was Stephen King. He puts a lot of humor in his books, but there, it's always like there's always that tinge of darkness to it. Mm-hmm. I was 
the point of writing Bill was more to like write something along the lines of like, you know, of a big trouble in little China or like, you know, or army of darkness, mm-hmm. something where the comedy really does like, you know, at least have equal footing to like, you know, the, the, the nasty things that are going on. Mm-hmm. So that's what I tried. I tried to market it at was horror comedy and uh, there wasn't a whole lot of horror comedy out there. So it really, it, it was like, okay, I put it in the horror genre. Nobody's buying it. I put it in the humor genre. Nobody's buying it. Right. Yeah, neither fish nor fowl. And it, it reminded me, it, it, you must hear about Christopher Moore a lot because yes. like Christopher Moore is one of my, is on my like lifetime list of, of favorites. So he is the only successful, like it's not that I've really explored horror comedy as a genre, but he is this one like very shining success and that's kind of the only thing you could call most of his books is horror comedy. Um, but I was curious, but they, they're sim- they're similar in the horror and the comedy, but they're also very different from your books. So I was, I, that's interesting that there, it is a, such a rarefied zone as far as I'm aware. I just don't know anybody. Yeah. I don't know who else does that. <laughs> and well, actually I, I know quite a few, uh, Amazon actually has a horror comedy genre, mm. um, or category on their site now, which is, which is awesome. Um, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of books that on there that probably don't fit. Um, there's a lot of, a uh, lot of like werebear shifter erotica in that category. Uh-huh. Um, but there's a decent amount, uh, like Jeff Strand, mm-hmm. he's been writing horror comedy for a while. Uh, John Hartness, um, let's see here. Um, David Wong from, uh, from Cracked. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I've, I've read some of Christopher Moore stuff. Like I, I think Lamb is an awesome book. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one thing, one thing though, that I, that I did, that I don't like about his stuff is I really can't stand his covers. And it's not that they're bad covers. It's mm-hmm. just that it's, it's a pet peeve of mine in that it's comedy covers are really hard to like, you know, to, to pull off without being slapstick. Mm-hmm. So if you either go wacky and it looks like slapstick or you go, go, go the other way and it doesn't look like, you know, like comedy at all. Right. Um, and the problem is like, you know, like I always looked at Bill as like, you know, Bill, Bill's kind of satire. Bill is kind of comedy, um, but it's not like it's not slapstick comedy. So I never really right. wanted that type of like, you know, cover on it. So, I mean, and, and like I said, I'm not saying Christopher Moore's covers are bad. I'm, I'm just saying that was the one thing like, you know, I was aware of his books and I, and I was just like, I, I, I don't want my books to look like that. Another question I wanted to ask that sort of in comparison was about clear morality. If you're a good character in a Christopher Moore book, even if you are a vampire, you're not going to think about killing an innocent person. Like it just won't come up and you will figure out some way around it. It's going to be a big dilemma. Not quite so much with Bill and definitely not so much with some of Bill's allies. Like the, the, the zone of morality and what it's right for a human turned vampire to do is in a very specific place with Bill. And I want, I wondered what you could tell us about like what makes how you thought about good and bad, or did that change during the series? It, it has changed a little bit in the series. Uh, like the secondary character, uh, S- Sally, mm-hmm. um, she's kind of Bill's sidekick. She does. She she has a kind of a, a major paradigm shift about like you know halfway through this, through the series where you know she she's she's starting to rediscover her, her humanity a bit. But at the same time, she still gleefully slaughters anybody who gets gets in her way. Right, right. A, a lot of mysteries. A lot of mysteries are based, and especially urban mysteries, I think, are based on that. Where the detective might be the moral one. Like I'm thinking of Spencer and mm-hmm. um, how he's got Hawk who will kill anybody. But lots and lots of detective stories. If the detective is like the moral one, then there is also kind of the enforcer um, friend who will actually wipe him out for him. <laughs> like, like I, I touch upon it a little bit, 
like like there's there's a there's a couple of parts in the latter books where where Bill is even kind of thinking out loud about you know how he doesn't kill people but he kills like vampires with like you know no with no issue mm-hmm. whatsoever mm-hmm. and like part of that I think is because you know when you kill a vampire they turn to dust so it almost kind of seems not real but my main thing my main thing with Bill is Bill was never really meant to be a hero he was always meant to be a bit of an anti-hero because mm-hmm. he's a bit of a jerk yeah. He's a bit of a womanizer, although some, some people some people could claim he's a misogynist, and I would I would say he's not. I think it's kind of more of a defense mechanism because he's so bad with women. Mm-hmm. He he's one of those people who will like you know who will like object- objectify women simply because he's terrified of them. Right. Um, he's he's very very particular. Like I found that I I definitely saw that quality in him is that he's not likable. I have to say I'm not I am not an attractive woman. Bill would not recognize me as human in the first book. He may get better. Um, but the, the, his world isn't rewarding him. Like I thought, I found that to be a really big deal that he and Sally have this sort of sparring relationship and the first book and, you know, up to Sally's book are, is not about Bill getting one over on her and succeeding. She, she cleans his clock every time. Well, that's the thing. She, she's, I would say Bill might be a little more book smart, but she she has a ton more common sense and you know a lot more life experience. Mm-hmm. And she's also not and and what we learn in Sunset Strip is that uh, even though circumstances kind of led to her becoming you know a stripper, she was actually a very a very good student earlier earlier on in her life. So she can match Bill wit for wit, but she also has that life experience which he just probably couldn't even understand that she can just use to eviscerate him right right and so it's just it's fascinating to me that you have bill and i can and and i can understand you you know reading through my eyes i can understand how people would see some of the things that bill says and be just you know put off by him and it sounds like that's not unintentional but his world isn't again the, the the world isn't set up to reward that like the world isn't set up to confirm that he's right about you know, these random things. In fact, if anything, it seems like he kind of grows and learns more about the world. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, one, one of the things is Bill's told in first person. Um, and from my perspective is when you're telling a story from first person, you're in that person's head. I wanted to make Bill a real person and real people. There's got to be dark thoughts going on. I think we all have them. Um, those dark, unsavory thoughts, mm-hmm. um, you know, Bill, Bill probably does have a Bill. Bill has a touch of like racism in him. You know, he's he's more than once said a couple times like, "Oh, I'm walking through a neighborhood where if I didn't have vampire powers, I never would would walk." Mm-hmm. Those are thoughts that people people have. You know, I wanted to make him a real person. I didn't want to make him mm-hmm. a, like some kind of caricature, like oh, like you know, he he's Goku from uh, from Dragon Ball Z, where he's like pretty much just a perfect individual. And I do get some flack for that. Like some people mm-hmm. do not want to read a hero that is kind of a jerk on the in, on the inside. At the right. same time, I, th- I think it also it plays into the horror comedy aspect of it, the comedy aspect of it, because I, I also want people to kind of like you know realize that sometimes when Bill, Bill is getting a beating, it's kind of because he deserves it. <laughs> right, and how how does how does how does the audience that loves your books how how is there one main way that they respond to Bill and 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 this part of his character, or do you see a real you know wide span of how people relate to? You know this anti-hero with you know walking around with bad thoughts in his brain. It's it's actually like I have a pretty wide demographic, and I never thought I was going to get that. You know, when I first read Bill, I was I was like, there's there's a certain type of person who's going to like this. Everybody else is going to hate this. Mm-hmm. Um, and my my demographic is like it blows me away sometimes. But uh, it's I would say 
that geek aspect of Bill is kind of the thing that draws a lot of people in. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it's like somebody who likes Star Trek, somebody who likes, you know, playing D&D, um, you know, somebody who's into video games. If they have that like, little touch of them, um, I find that's probably like, you know, the one thing they'll latch on to, to Bill about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and then there's, there's, you know, there's aspects about him that people don't like. Um, like one of the things, is, you know, in the first book, you know, Bill's roommates are like, you know, they're, they pretty much torture him trying to test his powers. Mm-hmm. And then, like, in subsequent books, Bill's, Bill's kind of hesitant to, like, test his powers too much. And people are like, no, no true geek would do that. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I understand, you know, in, in, if I'm playing a game of D&D and my character gets a new sword, I'm just – I'm going to walk into a, a pub and start, and start hacking away at that, at that. Right. But in real life – I'm not a mass murderer. Right. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, the, and that's and that's Bill's thing. Bill, mm-hmm. Bill's not a, a he's not a great humanitarian, but mm-hmm. he's not a bad guy either. Yeah, you know he he doesn't want to hurt anybody. He doesn't have to, you know he just wants to live his life. Right, right. Bill and his friend Ed, who is the kind of the head torturer in those scenes. I mean, Ed was just I I could hear and picture Ed, and not that many characters sort of rise to the level where I can see them. But his voice is so clear and so kind of precisely this exact person and all his he just fits everything that he does all the things, you know, stabbing his friend through the hand and and all these things. He does all the things that that person would do. And he's just I found. Yeah, I, I can understand where anyone who's in that culture, I would think, has to find Bill and his friends really, really recognizable. And I mean, some people some people don't like in the first book. Bill and his roommates, they kind of read a bit alike. You know, if, if you read them from one line to the other, if I don't say Bill said, Ed said, Tom said, mm-hmm. they do kind of sound alike. And I've, I've gotten a little bit of a flack about that. They're like, oh, you know, we, we need more diverse characters. And I'm like, yeah. But at the same time, once again, getting back to that real world, world perspective, I think people tend to gravitate towards people like them mm-hmm. as friends. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Bill Bill hangs out with people who are like him. Um you know, I mean, they, they have their idiosyncrasies, their quirks, mm-hmm. but that's also one of the that's also one of the like the genre things I wanted to like you know kick in the teeth in the first book is, you know, read any like you know watch any like you know typical horror movie or so. Okay, you know, somebody gets bitten by a vampire, somebody gets turned into a vamp into a zombie, they go and see their or, or hey, look at the X Men. Mm-hmm. I have mutant powers. You go and see your friends, and they immediately call the cops on you. It's like, right. oh, get away from me, freak! And I'm like, real friends don't do that. <laughs> I show up to my real friends and I'm like, hey guys, look, I can like shoot ice beams from my hand. Then they're going to be like, that's kick ass. Yeah. 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 I, I, I can see that. No, I thought that it's kind of delicious. Um, and then, and there's also, you know, that sort of goes to the levels of comedy because Bill and his friends bring out a lot of comedy from each other. Bill has a very, has a comic wisecracky perspective. And then, um, I just found the comedy where his other friend has invested so much faith in the holy grail of collectibles um, that it can burn vampires. Um, his Optimus Prime doll. I thought that was a really delicious invention that sort of led very logically um, how we got there. Uh, and uh, but it's but it's also kind of silly in a way that isn't so constructed in. Sally's book or in Bigfoot Hunters, neither of them really has kind of, it's not, even the Optimus Prime doll, because it is so logical, isn't exactly a set piece of silliness, but there's less silliness in the other two books. Has that been changing in your work overall, or how how does the difference develop? 
Well, Bigfoot Hunters is a completely different universe. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was written to be a horror novel, mm-hmm. not 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 humor. Mm-hmm. And Sunset Strip, and subsequently, there's another uh, there's another side story later on, uh, Shining Fury. Since those are both told from different perspectives than Bill, um, you know, I, I told my fans ahead of time, I was like, all right, you know, you're going to be stepping into somebody else's head here, and they're not all ha ha, you know, mm-hmm. you know, everything's a, everything's a joke. You know, so it's the same world, but th- th- I think the best way to explain this is like uh, you've seen Ghostbusters, right? Mm-hmm. Ghostbusters is is a real is a really fun movie, and it's fun because you're told it from the perspective of the main characters. But f- think about that story taking place from the eyes of a more serious character. That that could easily be a horror story of like oh you know primal gods taking over like you know taking over Manhattan. Um, the levity comes from the fact that you're looking through certain characters' eyes, and that's kind of the same thing with Bill. Is mm-hmm. the levity comes from looking at through his eyes, but when you step out and look at the world through other people's eyes, mm-hmm. it can be much darker. Right, right, and um, it, yeah, it's it's one thing to see the world through Bill Murray's eyes, <laughs> hmm. and then another thing to be pretty much anybody else in a world that has Bill Murray in it. I'm curious, what like market wise, what was the reaction to taking these very different turns? How how do you think people responded? I've gotten more than one uh, email from people saying Sunset Strip is probably their their favorite in the series. Ah. Um, Sally is Sally is a really strong character. Yeah. Um, I mean, she, in the first couple of books, she is a she could be construed as possibly a bit of a caricature, <laughs> um, but Sunset Strip fleshes her out. Um, you know, make make sure that whole person, and that was kind of my goal goal for it. Um, and, you know, it's well reviewed. I mean, you know, is it if somebody is purposely reading a story for the laughs, are they necessarily going to like that or Bigfoot Hunters? No. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, in fact, probably my worst reviews that I've gotten for Bigfoot Hunters are people who maybe didn't who assumed it was just another comedy, and you know, they picked it up and they're like, oh, "Where's the funny?" I'm mm-hmm. like, "There was there wasn't supposed to be any funny. It's it's a horror novel. People die." Yeah. <laughs> No matter what you do to prep people, you're still you're going to get some some folks who are mm-hmm. disappointed. Um, but if one out of 100 people is disappointed, um, you know that stinks. You know, I would I like that person to be happy, sure. But it's those ni- those 99 other people who are happy. Mm-hmm. They're the ones I need to focus on. It sounds like that had kind of a broadening effect, where people who weren't necessarily so much in it for the funny were getting something else that they wanted from that book, and so. That's a noble part of the sort of experiment to broaden is you you open yourself up to some new people as well. And I mean that that, that also was pur- was purposeful because uh, when, when Bill's series is over, which uh, you know it's going to be ending soon, mm-hmm. am I going to write funny stuff going forward? Yeah, sure, of course. You know, I I, I, enjoy, I enjoy that kind of humor, but I also am going to write some darker things because I enjoy writing the darker stuff. Um, you know, Sally's book was really fun to write because. She did some horrible things to people that Bill never would have, and I had a great time writing that. It's just like you know, just, just her letting loose. There's this one scene where she she just slaughters people in this hotel, um, really not for much reason other than I think they kind of get in her way. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of freeing because it was like, all right, I'm I'm in, I'm working with a character here who's morally ambiguous. But in a sense, that's kind of freeing because you know she doesn't have those constraints that Bill has. Right. Um, and some and. 
for me, you know, and, and that probably makes me sound like a sicko or so saying that I have a lot of fun writing that stuff, but I do. I have a lot of fun writing the jokes, but I also have fun writing the dark stuff because, you know, I'm a horror movie fan. You know, I, I, I love watching horror movies. I love watching the plots. I love watching the special effects. And that's how that's how I tend to like picture all, a lot of these things in my head is I picture them as movie scenes. Um, and when I'm doing that, I'm having a good time, even if like, you know, even if buckets of blood are like, you know, being spilled. It strikes me that it's different to be coming at writing horror with that sort of cinematic perspective, which it seemed to me Bigfoot Hunters, you know, really is you're in all these view. You go into viewpoints for like three pages so, just so they can die at the end of the three pages. Um, and, uh, you know, just, just, just enough to get attached sometimes. And, uh, but it's, it's very, very, you know, it really does, it's kind of choreographed in a very horror movie way. Um, and with some real, you know, some painful, you know, after all the easy people have been killed, some of the people you really like to get, start getting killed too. I read a lot of things online, like, you know, by other authors and such. And whenever I see one of those, like, oh, I, I had to, I had to kill a character and I was in tears for hours. I'll be the first to admit I, that that has never happened to me. <laughs> um, I, I write I I don't write to uh, you know to, to give anybody lessons to do like you know morality plays or so. I write purposely. I write purely to entertain. Mm -hmm. you know, that that is that is all I'm setting out to do when I write a book. You know I want to give people an escape for a couple hours. Those, those are kind of shows I enjoy watching. A, a good a good one that comes to mind is I used to love love Xena Warrior Princess. You know, and, and not just because it's like, you know, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no. cute, cute, cute women running around in, in leather. Um, but it was because the show the show pretty much was just entertainment. It's like, yeah, people got killed and stuff, but it never really took you out of the action. Um, you know, there was never any. I, I never I've never had a problem with suspension of disbelief. Um, mm -hmm. So I used to, I mean, the, the whole thing was like, OK, am I being entertained watching this? Yes. And that's that's really just how I write my stories. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and sometimes it is a dirty trick, you know, to put you into the character's head and get you used to him. And then, like, you know, immediately, like, you know, eviscerate them at the end of the chapter. Uh, sometimes I do. I do feel bad, you know, getting an email from like, oh, I love this character. and You killed him, you bastard. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I don't feel that badly because it's kind of one of those. Well, if you like that character and you're really angry at me, then I kind of did my job. Well, that makes me, are you ever really trying to twist the knife by killing a character? Like it's one thing to kind of, you know, the, I get that the violence, like I would, I think of the word cartoony without meaning it in a bad way for Xena. It's sort of, there's a level of unreality that kind of, you know, keeps everything safe. And um, is, do you go for like, kind of, do you, do you, yeah, do you twist the knife at other times, or does that not come up so much? I try. I try not to. Mm -hmm. I mean, if a character if a character dies, it's usually because the plot call calls for it. Mm -hmm. um, I will admit, once or twice during Bigfoot Hunters, a few characters who were supposed to live at the end, uh, they died simply because I was having a bad day, and I was just like, oh, "You got to go now." <laughs> but that, that, was, that was more that was more just to make me feel better. <laughs> I wasn't can trying can to we break it. the news of who at least one of them was? Or is uh, that sure. should that never be said? No, nah, we, we 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 can say that. Spo spoiler alert! You know, uh, mute for the next five seconds if you haven't read Bigfoot Hunters. But uh, the 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 character Rob, who's uh, the roommate, mm. he was originally supposed to survive. I mean, he, you yeah. know, he's 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 a bit of a geek character. You know, he's really into like you know the cryptozoology. He knows a lot. Um, yeah. He was meant to make it to the end, and I was just having a lousy day at work, and I was writing a scene with him, and I was just like, "Sorry, Rob, I like you." But, and that's interesting because like he's he's one of the biggest surprises because he is like that's interesting that he was literally set up to be the kind of character 
you know, that Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park character that you're like, well, we're going to need this guy later. <laughs> you know, let's just resurrect him. Um, but he's, you know, because he is sort of subtly set up because he was supposed to just make it. Um, it is a big shock when when he dies. Um, but I also it strikes me that particular way of sort of playing fair with your audience. And again, I tie this back to mystery. I used to like cozy mysteries. Agatha Christie, you could count on um, not being too upset almost any of the time about who died. Like that was, she, she was sort of, you know, by cheating and only having the disreputable, unpleasant people die, um, it was easier to read than if you were sort of, you know, being forced to have a lot of empathy and then they dropped the bomb. Um, and there's a, di it's a different kind of sort of play. Like your reader knows the rules. It's a different kind of sort of setting rules for this is what could happen in my world. Anybody could get it. Um, but I'm not going to try too hard to like, you know, kill the puppy in front of you or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want, I don't want to tug on people's heartstrings. Um, like, like Bill is a comedy and like there has been some, some heavy stuff that has happened in the latter books and it, it's necessary because he's kind of going through an apocalypse right now. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, there's going to be heavy stuff, and you know, in the last book of the series, I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to promise that everybody's walk. Everybody's walking out of there uh, alive. Right. And yeah, and in some ways, you know, yeah, that 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 does suck. These characters have been with us for like you know several books, but fair is fair because also I think it's a bit of a cheat where if a character is like you know the good guy, the one you like, that you automatically kind of know they're gonna they're gonna survive. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will. I will admit, there's like you know, there are there are a couple times that I've changed my mind, um, and you know, more more spoiler alert. In the third book of the series, The Morning Woods, um, I was originally going to uh, kill uh, Bill's roommate Tom. Mm. He was going to get bitten by a zombie and like start rotting away at the, as the book yeah. progressed and stuff. Um, and as I was writing this, as I was writing the book. Um, it actually turned out to be funnier to like you know to make him live. <laughs> I can understand that because you've got this sort of trio, and if you're going to go along between Bill and his roommate Ed and his roommate Tom, and they're all very similar, and it is kind of classic that well, sooner or later somebody's going to go. Is there anything that you can think of that you'd like to share? I mean, we're the craft podcast, and so it's always kind of a chance to make some sort of profound and very deeply thought statement about your approach to craft or what you think of craft or kind of anything about craft and indies. I would say it's a con it's a constant evolution. You know, this this is a business you can't stand still and you have to constantly try new things. Um, you have to try, constantly try to get better. Um, you, you mentioned writing to market earlier. And I mean, I've, I've seen some people blow through the charts like writing to market and I think it's awesome. As I move full time and I have more time to like write, I, I might I might dabble with it. But, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, one 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 reason one thing about it that bugs me about writing to market, and I mean once again it's probably just a personal pet peeve is, I don't want to be the next somebody else. You know I don't mm -hmm. I don't want to put out uh, you know the same the same urban fantasies that uh, that right. everybody else is doing just using like you know re, re, repackaging the tropes and stuff. Did people who put out Fifty Shades clones sell a ton? Yeah, they they did. But does anybody remember those authors? Mm -hmm. So so yeah, you, you, well you've kind of you you've got a real original spark to your stuff it, again we talked about how there's there's not that much out there there that's even like it so I, i'm curious um so you have been working full-time this whole time that you have written all you know published all these books um what is your how, how do you fit writing in what's what's your writing time like 
Um, I try to fit it in when I can. I mean, uh, you know, the, the last five years, I've definitely watched uh, you know less TV than I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can't really say I'm like giving I'm giving up much. Um, you know, I mean. Th- I think the classic, the classic, you know, story of this would be, oh, you know, sacrifice. You know, I, I work seven, seven, seven days a week, twenty four seven. You know, my family hasn't seen me and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I, honestly, that's just not true. Um, how much? So, I, so, if a writing session is a couple of hours, how much do you? Tip, is there a typical amount that you? Because the keyboards is always talking about like different people's rates of how much they can produce in a day. How how much can you get done? My top day, I've I've done a couple eight thousand word days. Those are not typical. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to train myself now as I get ready for full time. I want to do three or four thousand a day as like my as my bare minimum. But working full time, I've tried to usually do between one thousand to two thousand a day. You know, I can usually crank if I can find an hour, I can crank out a thousand words. And how- like you know, then, then later in the evening, if I have more time, I'll crank out another thousand. So how how so Bill's been going on for five years, and I know there's about a dozen books, right? Plus several others. How how many books a year have you put out in those five years? I guess I have about sixteen or seventeen books out there. So it's probably averaged roughly about three releases a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I released faster earlier on. Um, as I've, my, as I said, my editing cycle, as I've learned, as I've figured out what I'm doing, um, has gotten longer. Mm-hmm. You know, like like some some people like you know they cut down their editing cycle. You know, I guess as they find efficiencies. My editing cycle, I think, with each book has gotten a little bit longer, because um, I want to I want to put out a book that's as perfect as it, as it can be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in the begin in the beginning, when I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. I would, could I have released a book in like a month or a month and a half? Sure. Um, going back now, if if I looked at that first draft that I released, would I have been embarrassed? Hell yeah. <laughs> and I'm not saying that people who release once a month do that. Right. Some people they have their they have their stuff down yeah. like 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 that, and that that is awesome. My my goal is to release a professional product. That yeah. that is pretty much my goal, and as and sometimes I, I read on cable boards, oh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I did 17,000 words today and I'll release this book tomorrow and I'll release another book the day after. And I'm kind of jealous of that. But at the same time, it's like, okay, I got to release at my own pace. I can't worry what everybody else is are releasing at. Right. And I think, and I think that's true for everyone. And I find it really refreshing to hear from you. I mean, first of all, it sounds to me like by any real world measurement you've been plenty prolific and plenty hard working like there's no need to be comparing you know oh so I, you know could somebody have done more um but also just speaking as a slow slow writer myself um i i really appreciate knowing that there's that zone for everyone you know that it's not the extremes that we like to talk about especially i think it's fun to talk about the fastest extreme and the most books out a year extreme and those are there and they're fine but they are not the only way and that's exactly right a lot of people on, on keyboards and on other forums they get caught up in that whole the only way to succeed is to release once a month and, and that's not that's not true mm-hmm. you know my last release was in april and i mean i i keep my marketing up i have a pretty pretty high marketing budget um but my sales you know that are they are they on a slight downward trend of course you know you know, it's been four months since I released, but you know, have they been good enough to live on uh, for those last four months? Yeah, they've been quite nice. Good. <laughs> so I mean, it's so it's it's a myth that you have to release once a month. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. if if you have a book series that you can release really rapidly and that people will devour, like I know a few few people who are killing it. I mean, they're making like forty fifty thousand dollars a month um, because they're able to do that, and I mean that's wonderful. 
but there are also people who are releasing once a month who aren't making even close to that. Yeah. So there's no guarantees in this industry. So like, right. you know, you, you can't look at what somebody else is doing and say, well, that's the only way to do it because that's just BS. <laughs> right. Right. And the, the other thing that I'm sort of getting from our talk goes back to the very beginning, which is about your work as an, um, I'm sorry, was it online marketer? How do you, what is the title? I've I've bounced back and forth through like through e-commerce pretty much back end e-commerce yeah. yeah I couldn't I couldn't think of e so I, I, it seems it really seems to me like what I know of the you know working in e-commerce is how so you, you I when I did things like um, try to write Google ads and try to attract people to our website there is so much of sort of that it becomes almost a joy of tweaking at least on my very low level it was like ooh you know is that can we find that kind of you know if we twist this a little bit can we find that route that's going to get us you know, many, many more clicks and many, many more eyeballs than before. No. Okay. Let's try another one. And that uh -huh. kind of stick to sticking to testing what works. And it just seems like with your many drafts, with your editing relationship that all through your work, there's this sort of, let me stick to the idea and not get discouraged and always be ready to keep it fresh and experiment. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, an, that's another thing you see is like people are like, I released my book a week ago and I haven't sold a million copies. It's a failure. Bill was out for a year and a half before I said, oh, let, let me move this over to contemporary fantasy and see if it does better than comedy. Mm -hmm. And suddenly it started selling. And, and that's when I realized that all along I'd been wrong, <laughs> that the book wasn't – I mean the book is a horror comedy, but – it didn't belong in humor. Its right. audience was actually sitting in urban fantasy. <laughs> right, right. That's what really unlocked the box, definitely. I have an ongoing theory from these talks that um, any writer is the sum of their best parts. And in other words, that the things that you can put together and do the very best, whatever they are, like, you know, that's what they like about you. They're not... I don't. I don't think any readers are all that worried about perfection and perfection in every aspect. And so when you look at kind of the sum of Bill's parts, he's got some really interesting parts, and some of them definitely go to that. You know, if, if urban fantasy is sort of, in some ways, kind of a geek domain, <laughs> then all the geekiness of domain of, of Bill, which is very you know nicely crafted and thought out is going to stand out to that crowd. And I don't know what the crowd of comedy horror is, but it may not have, you know, Bill's greatest strengths may not have really stood out to that crowd or there, or for whatever reason, mm -hmm. it turns out that there's this whole other world that's like, oh my gosh, look at this. Optimus Prime as a holy icon. Yeah, I mean, so, so you got you got to test. I think it actually goes even 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 beyond that. Where, as I mentioned before, it's like you know, I, I tend to have a good time writing like the, the things I write, even if like I am writing horrible stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to like you know convey to people. And I know the perfection thing that you're 100% mm -hmm. correct in that. That's pretty much just me being anal retentive. Um, but uh, I think if you're enjoying what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Like, like watch a movie where like, you know, where, where there's an actor in it and like behind the scenes you hear about how, how an awesome of a time they had with it. You can kind of see that in their performance. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, I think you can also see that in like, you know, if somebody's writing something and it's like, you know, the, the, the demon is in them and it's trying to get out and all that stuff out of their heads, you can kind of see that in, in the writing as opposed mm -hmm. to like, you know, as a, 
as opposed to if some if something is just an uninspired effort. <laughs> right, right, and and all those things have different flavors. I mean, I I really like this idea of you know, well, I write bad stuff and I kill people all the time, but I don't care that much about it, and I don't really think you should either. And yeah. that's a zone, and not everybody reads in that zone, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You're gonna find you know you are making it very clear. This is my zone, and these are my readers, and that just. I don't know. That just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, uh, a, a friend of mine out there, Robert Bevan, uh, he writes. Uh, he writes um, this series that basically is like it's it's juvenile humor of these characters who are sucked into uh, a, a, their their own D and D campaign. And I mean, that's the thing. He mm-hmm. he play he he knows his audience, and I mean, he he plays them like you know like 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 a maestro. Mm-hmm. You know, he 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 he. And we're we're both we both are kind of in that comedy space. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not writing. You know, a broad base like something like a Harry Potter, where like you know, yeah, like billions upon billions of people can like get into it. Our audiences are smaller, right. you know, but uh, but we, we know those audiences. So, <laughs> you know, actually, when I was reading the book, that's it's funny that you put it that way because when I was reading the book, I was reminded of something I heard somewhere about of all people, Weird Al Yankovic. And if you think about Weird Al Yankovic's songs, I mean, the guy could be writing dirty songs and funny dirty songs all that he wants, and he never does. Weird Al Yankovic usually barely touches PG-13. And what I heard about him was that, look, who buys Weird Al Yankovic? You know, who's his core audience? Uh 12-year-olds, you know, especially 12-year-old boys. And that's it. And he knows that perfectly well, and he owns that. And it's like, and he's not going to, you know, he is very sort of disciplined about not writing things that won't kind of work in a 12-year-old worldview and respecting that. And I, I have a lot of respect for, you know, connecting with your people, you know, knowing who they are. And if you can speak to to them, whoever they are, books that have, you know, books that have been for my people um, I find that D- Daniel Pinkwater is an author that becomes kind of a holy gradle for a certain grail for a certain kind of weird kid that I was. And it's like there was this one author that totally got me. That's how Bill came across to me, too, was that here's this person. He's got his worldview. And if you also kind of share it, wow, you know, these must be some really powerful silly horror books, you know, comedy horror books. I have. I would hundred uh, percent agree. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, could could I water down the cursing? Could I water down the, the like you know the violence and stuff? Sure. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm writing something that I find acceptable to read that I think is interesting, and I mean, I'm just trying to find other people who who are right. of that mindset. Right. Right. And and I mean, I just would recommend anyone to look at Bill as just a great example of going so deep into a very you know. This very personal mindset, like he said, you know, here's what this person thinks. Here's what he thinks in the worst parts of his brain. Here's what he thinks when he's at his best, you know. But it's he's still always very much himself. I mean, that that, that just comes down to trying to trying to write him as a real as a real person. Right. You know, I, I I like this format best. Just like you know, kind of the back and forth conversation. This this mm-hmm. it makes it feel much more natural than you know. So so. What 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 is your strength as a writer? <laughs> were, were you in gamer culture or <laughs> did, did, how did you do your research? <laughs> so super cool. Well, I you know it seems to me that we are you know probably at a good stopping place. And how soon is Bill's so Bill's final album? Bill, I'm sorry, Bill's <laughs> final book, Bill's final episode is or we believe it is is coming out very soon. When is that? 
Do you know? The last, the last coven, I, I don't like to give. I don't like to put dates. I respect until, that. Until until I know for sure I'm going to hit those dates because right. uh, once again the book the, I don't release a book until I feel You're the right. book is ready. So I would say sometime in the fall the book uh, I'm I'm expecting to finish the first draft um, in the next couple weeks. Fall you know, soon. In, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Not but I mean, to upset you or anything. No, but as I said, I have about three weeks to go, and then I'm full time, and uh, That's so really going to change it. What, what my hope is that, you know, without sacrificing any quality, is that I'll have more time to actually edit this a little bit faster. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations so much on the upcoming free time. Well, full, I'm, I'm sorry, the upcoming non-full time, uh, the upcoming time to do writing. And uh, and I'm really looking, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to how Bill ends up. There's no way to make everybody happy. So uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Yeah, I, it, it, I, I strongly sense that's really going to bother you. No, actually, you know, you, you know something. I, I, I was talking to uh, another author in a, in a Facebook group, and mm -hmm. uh, she, she was getting the same thing. You know, like she ended a series, and like you know, you know, a lot of people are writing saying, "Oh, this should have happened, or that should have happened," mm -hmm. and it was, and it was, and it was bugging her. And I could see why it would bug her. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, I was like, you know what? It would be a fun, but like douchebag thing to do, is that if somebody writes writes something like that to me, just write write them a personalized ending that like you know that just completely messes things <laughs> messes things up wait would you follow what they want or you would just make it worse oh no i would just make it i would just make, just it, make worse. it worse yeah <laughs> yeah well and endings are a big deal i mean i think that um i mean i live in sort of a ya romance environment a lot of the time and i can think of several examples where the you know the, especially like the end of the trilogy just takes this very unexpected turn because that's what the author needed to do and probably always intended to do the tricky thing not to put undue pressure on you or anything <laughs> um but it just it is tricky because there's it's certainly it's like rewarding that final thought and doing at least you know enough of both what's expected and what's unexpected it'll be interesting I'm, i am looking forward to the to the next several months uh, they're going to be busy yeah. ones but uh you know, they, they they definitely won't be boring ones. Do, do you have do, do you have plans that you're talking about, like p writing post bill or? Are, oh yeah. Is that, what's 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 coming up? I actually I actually shared with my uh, my arc team last week some sample chapters for uh, for this series for it's going to be a trilogy that I'm planning on starting post bill. Um, you know, just to get their feedback from it, and uh, you know the the, fee the feedback I've gotten so far has been uh, has been really positive. So, and I'm kind of excited to uh, to dive into it. I have no shortage of projects on on the horizon, and okay. and here's also the thing is this is the end of this series, but assuming I don't blow up the world, there's nothing that says I can't return to this world again in the future. Yeah, yeah, always the case, always the case. And um, I think J.K. Rowling is showing us the way right now. Thank you so much um, for coming on the show and for talking to us. It's really great to get a broader perspective of lots of different genres, and I just found yours to be a real treat. I really appreciate this, and this this was uh, this was a lot of fun.